0: first lines as an introduction to St. John's Gospel is an interesting kind of hypnotic introduction. It's distinct from all the other Gospels introductions. We don't jump in to a genealogy. We don't have stories about shepherds in the field. We have metaphysics fused with poetry. It depicts something that is quite distinct, but also it it uses imagery and language and concepts that weren't unique. See, John brilliantly weaves a poetic tapestry of imagery that harkens back to the Torah and prophets of old. St. John utilizes the philosophical concepts imparted by the Hellenistic Jewish philosophy of Philo which personified the wisdom of God depicted in the Old Testament through the Greek concept of the logos, or word. He also draws upon the important imagery of light and darkness, a light that represents true life that comes from the presence of God and a darkness that represents the chaos that marks our current age, a darkness that is in some ways an anti-creation, a rebellion against the light that manifested in the first words of creation, a darkness that came through man's rejection of the true source of light and life, which is God. As an artistic hymnist, John draws on familiar imagery and old sayings in order to dramatically convey in poetic fashion the reality that something radically new has begun. The imagery and wisdom of old has found new meaning, or better yet, has found its truest meaning, because God has revealed himself to us. He's come into our midst as light in the darkness, life to all that is dying, as Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. <clears throat> well, there's immense theological insight to be gleaned from every line and every word, in this brilliant prelude. For the sake of this homily on the first Sunday of Christmas, I want to simply provide some reflections on the imagery of light breaking into the darkness, which symbolizes God coming into his broken creation and life coming to a fallen world, sentenced to death. <clears throat> In this introduction, John begins with the cosmic, metaphysical, transtemporal reality. Of the eternal existence of the word as being with God and as God. And then breaking in of this word within the whole world as light and life to all men. So we have a beginning of a grand perspective. A perspective that that is beyond creation itself coming in to creation and carrying the scope of being light to all men throughout all the earth. We go from this grand scale immediately into the particular. St. John transports us quickly from the grand metaphysical to first century Palestine, where you have this strange, somewhat eccentric, desert monastic figure named John the Baptist. In which he is crying out as, as one, as, as a herald of this, this transcendent light that has now broken in to their first century Judean moment. But then John, St. John instantly draws us back to the universal scope of this temporal inbreaking of the eternally existent word. The true light, God in our midst, which was a gift of grace and truth wrapped in frail human flesh, both for the first century Jew and all of humanity as well, throughout all of eternity. It's as if St. John wants his readers to know that the historic events he witnessed and later recounts in his gospel transcend the temporal events he records, both eternally past and into the future. God coming into the midst of his people, the inbreaking of light into the darkness at a particular time some 2,000 years ago in a little place called Bethlehem needs to be understood in its grander cosmic and universal scale. And yet our current global moment, this Christmas 2020, needs to be understood in light of that particular event that occurred 2,000 years ago in an obscure Roman occupied territory known as Judea. But in order to understand the significance of that first Christmas for today, I think we need to first understand the radical significance of that initial proclamation by John the Baptist for his own people in that particular time and place. When we read of John the Baptist proclaiming that the light has come, often it might bring to mind Christmas carols and Happy proclamations of something that was expected and anticipated. But I think we so often miss the full weight of that evangelistic cry that light has come. Because we often miss the opaqueness of the darkness the first century Jews were in. John the Apostle and John the Baptist were proclaiming the good news that the true light of the world had come into his creation to a people who had been so entrenched in a perpetual night that they were beginning to lose hope that light would break into their incessant darkness. Like their forebears, most Jews, many of them in the first century, saw themselves as still in exile, Still wandering in the wilderness, but unlike, many of their, unlike their forebears, they didn't have the light from a pillar at night, a fire, to guide them. Yeah, many of them were now in their homeland, but their homeland was not their own. If you go back 500 years prior to the coming of Christ... In the 500s and 400s BC, the Jews were, were returned from Babylonian exile to their land. They rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the city walls of, of Zion, of Jerusalem. And for a period of time, the Jews must have wondered to themselves and thought the light has broken forth, the darkness has ended. God is now fulfilling his promises. He will come into our midst as our king and establish his kingdom. It's happening. But then in 332 BC, Alexander the Great, the ruler of the latest world superpower, takes control of Judea. But because it's just some obscure Middle Eastern territory that doesn't really matter that much to Greece, it was then passed off back and forth between local monarchs. Then, by the early 200s, the Syrians controlled the land of Judah. Then, in 167, King Antiochus of Syria decided that he was going to ban the worship of the Jewish god went into the temple and desecrated the Holy of Holies and dedicated the temple of Yahweh to Zeus. If you know anything about our uh, Jewish brothers and sisters, they didn't take that too well. (laughs) So two years later in 165, they rose up in rebellion. Rebellion what is referred to as the Maccabean Revolt. And amazingly, surprisingly, these obscure people were able to expel the Greco-Syrian political machine that had run their land for so long. And they established Jewish control over the Holy Land. Most Jews during this same season, around the time of Christmas, celebrate this victory with the festival of Hanukkah. And interestingly, Hanukkah is known as the festival of light. See, it seemed at that point that God had not forgotten them. And maybe now the darkness is over. Now the light has broken forth. Now the God of their fathers will fulfill his promises and be their king. That all those promises from prophets like Isaiah 700 years prior are finally coming to fruition. And for almost 100 years, it appeared that that might be. It had seemed that dawn had come and new age had begun. Till a new empire arose, like the world had never seen, Rome. And with the help of an opportunistic and narcissistic descendant of Jewish proselyte forebears named Herod, the Jewish people and their homeland was subjugated under Roman control. So by the first century, you had what many saw as the last glimmer of light—the light of the Maccabees—distinguished. A chosen people remaining under oppressive foreign control being manipulated by a self-aggrandizing local ruler who fancied himself as a faithful jewel while actually acting as a conspiratorially paranoid puppet of Caesar. See, because of the prolonged absence of God's intervention and in the unwavering shroud of darkness that marked their existence, son of the some, maybe even many, the Jews had abandoned that antiquated hope that God was going to be faithful to his promises, that somehow he would come into their midst, that somehow dawn would spring and the night would be over. And some thought that the incessant darkness The lack of God breaking in, of light coming in, was due to to their own and their own people's impiety. It was because of Israel's lack of strict adherence to the laws of Moses. Others ran to the Dead Sea to try to create a faithful remnant that would welcome in God's promised Messiah while others were creating a Che Guevara-esque strategy for a grassroots revolution. You see, it didn't really matter how you responded. Whether you felt the darkness that would not cease was due to you and your people's impiety, or you joined a pseudo-monastic doomsday cult, or you sought to acclimate your antiquated faith with the new zeitgeist of the day. Or were gathering with your zealot militia friends in some backcountry Palestinian shack preparing for the Great Revolution? Or you were just part of the masses, simply trying to care for your children and kin while seeking to make sense of it all? It didn't matter what response you took, because all were aware that it was apparent that the times were certainly dark and the hope for light breaking in was fleeting. brothers and sisters, this was the context of the proclamation of those angels to the shepherds in the field that we read every Christmas. And this is the reality in which John boldly proclaims that light has come into the darkness and the darkness, no matter how dark it is, cannot overcome it. That God had not forgotten his people and was coming into their midst. To rescue them. I think it's so easy to, to think of the people during the biblical times as, as some like non-human, just biblical characters. But these people had the doubts and uncertainties, the fears, the concerns. Wondering if maybe those, those books and stories passed down from their forebears were just wishful thinking. And that all hope had been lost. And there was no certainty of even if it would happen, how it would happen when the Messiah came. I mean, there was no ancient Hebrew pre-incarnation equivalent to the Left Behind series for them to know and map out exactly what it was going to look like. In many ways, they were similar to us. We have to remember that the particular is sandwiched between transcendent proclamations of universal significance. St. John is very intentional with the very first words of the intro to his gospel by choosing the very same words which were the first words of Holy Scripture. In the beginning. And like in Genesis, where the very first act of the word was the proclamation, let there be light, he proclaims that light has come in to the world. See, what John is intentionally trying to depict is that the incarnation of Christ is not only a fulfillment of Israel's story, but also the universal story. That the coming of Christ was the initiation of new creation. And in many ways, Israel's experience of exile is a microcosm of the universal exile of all humanity. See, John is tying this reality that Jesus was, 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 was enacting what God was doing in first century Palestine to the grander story. So in the same way as God was sending and fulfilling his promises of bringing his people out of exile, we are brought back to Genesis by John to remind us of the grander exile, the separation from God and his presence of all of humanity and the inbreaking of this light, the coming of the word of God is a breaking of that exile and a restoration of all of God's creation to himself. It's revealing that God's faithfulness in the first century incarnation of our Lord is actually an act of faithfulness to not just bring light into the dark history and story of Israel, but to lift the dark shroud that is over all of creation, including us. The first Christmas profoundly impacts this Christmas right now because that historic event carried universal significance. And like the Jews of the first century, who found themselves feeling as if they were in darkness, chaos, and uncertainty, I think many of us find ourselves in the same place. But unlike the first century Jews, we're not wondering if the Messiah will come, but asking if he will return. So this is the last message of 2020. So at least this will be the last time that you will hear from the pulpit some cliche statement about how horrible 2020 was. It was rough. There's one good thing, as I was thinking about it, at least, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of good things, but there's one good thing that I can think of that came out of 2020, and that is that it is a reminder to us in very stark ways that the darkness still exists. After all our progress, after all our innovation, after our evolution beyond those primitive peoples of earlier years, after our smartphones and our freedom from cable television, our wokeness, our newly discovered insights from obscure blogs and forums, yes, even our discovery of our ability to be able to connect with each other but not have to dress up for it through Zoom. All of these discoveries, all of this progress has actually been shown to be fleeting and fragile. Most of us are tired, jaded, and done with it all. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on, what perspective you have chosen, the darkness that still exists has left many of us tired, weary, at times angry, and sadly divided. But it doesn't matter how you feel about anything that is going on right now. I am pretty certain that most of us are at least acutely aware in our inmost being that this is not how it ought to be. As we are forced to face the existing darkness, we must also recognize the danger of artificial light that we have so often relied on. I remember whenever I was pastoring in the east end of Pittsburgh, and Judah was just a little kid. We got home one evening, and he got out of the car, and we were walking to our house. And he's like, Daddy, look, the star is out. And I had to tell my son, there's more than one star, buddy. And then I realized that that star was actually a helicopter. And it, and it hit me. I'm like... We need to move to Stoneboro, Pennsylvania, or something like that, because this ain't right for a boy to grow up like this. But you know, but the, the danger is, is that whenever you are surrounded by so much man-made, artificial light, makes it real hard sometimes to be able to detect the real light that is there. We have so many counterfeit lights. Artificial lights, their are attempts to mimic and replace the true light of life that we are all desperate for. Whether it be career or wealth, whether it be fashion, whether it be exploits, whether it be positions, whether it be producing new artwork or or publishing new books. Whether it be altering our state of existence and mental place by using different chemicals, whatever it might be, we all grasp for, for different forms of artificial light. To be honest with you, artificial light? And our grasping for it is one of the main things that drives our economy. As we grasp to try to get a sense and feeling to distract ourselves from the reality of the darkness at hand. And I'm not saying that all of these things that that I pointed out, these things that can be artificial light, are always bad. The difference is, is many of these things are very good when they're reflectors and they're very bad when they're light bulbs. They can be very good when they reflect to us the true light. The true light of life. And they are horrible when we look to them as a source of light in and of themselves. But as we become aware of the dark... That we are still finding ourselves within. We must reflect on that first end to Advent. Which grants certainty that the prolonged Advent that we are in will eventually come to an end. Advent as that sitting in the darkness longing and waiting for the coming and the appearing of God. That we all find ourselves in. But unlike those in the first century that were ignorant of the scope of incarnation, our hope is not in just a Palestinian baby in a manger. But we know of the more grand and cosmic reality that that main baby was ultimately God's son, God himself in the flesh. That he was not just sent to redeem Israel from its self-imposed exile, but also rescue all of humanity from the exile of the true source of light and life, which is God. And as our celebration of Christmas right now needs to be seen through the perspective of that first Christmas, we also must see our current Christmas moment through the lens of Easter. See, light coming into the darkness, that manifestation and incarnation of that baby Jesus was so that he would grow to a man and then in that not only break into the darkness, but take the fullness and the weight of the darkness upon himself. The light not only came into the darkness, the light was consumed by the darkness. The sickness, the death, the poverty, the divisions, the hatred, the anger... And even separation from the true source of light, the Father himself. Jesus bore. Bore to the point that he went into the darkest of places, the pit itself. And yet he rose victorious. Victorious over the darkness. See, we can celebrate Christmas because not only has the light come into the darkness, that light has conquered the darkness. See, our celebration of Christmas is a reminder of the certain and more glorious Christmas celebration, if if you'll give me that. But that end to this current Advent will not be a baby in a manger, but it will be the conquering Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the resurrected Son of God coming in mighty power to finish what he has started, to put all things to right. Finally, banish whatever remains of the darkness. So today, fully cognizant of the darkness that has befallen our world, a darkness that may now seem more present to many, but has always existed. We celebrate the good news that light has come into the darkness. And if you know anything about physics of light, which I don't know anything about the physics of light, But I did read about the physics of light, so that's what I'm recounting to you. But if you know anything about the physics of light, is that it don't matter how dark the dark is, it will never overcome the light. And that divine light that has come has granted grace, hope, and life to all who acknowledge it. This does not mean that the effects of the fallen world are not felt by us all. But as we press into the chaos, the uncertainty, loss, poverty, hostility, division, stress, anger, and anxiety that our current moment offer us, we do so having hope, knowing that because the light broke through that first Christmas in first century Bethlehem, we know that God had not forgotten his promises. And what was started that first Christmas and accomplished that first Easter is certain to come to fulfillment at the end of this second advent. When he comes again to put all things right and redeem all that had been obscured by the darkness. My brothers and sisters, Christ has come. Christ has risen. And know that no matter how dark your current moment might be, because of what Christ has done, because the light has already broken through, we can boldly proclaim with absolute hope and certainty that Christ will come again